The first passage is Isaiah 25, verses 1 to 8. It is on page 709. Isaiah 25, 1 to 8. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin. The foreigner's stronghold, a city no more, it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And the second reading is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 to 22, on page 1151. That's 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 to 22. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything, no, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Thank you, Sarah, for reading. And Scott, for praying for us. I do keep that passage open. If you were with us uh, a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember we were uh, at the fictional church of Christchurch Little Whinging. I don't know if you know, it's just in the outskirts of Cambridge. Uh, Michael, the much-loved curate there, is still on paternity leave after the arrival of his new daughter. But with Michael away, the congregation were uh, unsure where to find the Jammy Dodgers. But with custard creams in hand, they were talking about the title for next week's sermon, which was, What is the Lord's Supper? Uh, Paul, remember, fictional church, uh, if any of the names sound familiar, just made up, accidental. But Paul, a member of the PCC, said, to be honest, the Lord's Supper, I prefer doing it at home on my own, and I use fresh orange juice and an almond croissant. I think that better represents the freshness and richness of being a Christian. 
Uh, what Paul didn't say was that ultimately he could avoid Brian, who really annoyed him, and always sort of spoiled his quiet time of reflection, even seeing Brian uh, when he was there at church during Lord's Supper. Gary, really enthusiastic, who joined the church uh, recently, said, my last church was a, a church plant, and for the first year and a half, we never even did the Lord's Supper. And, and to be honest, I don't think we really missed anything. Uh, Anna, one of the youth, said, but it is in the Bible. Well done, Anna. Well done. And, and didn't Jesus say about the bread and the wine, it's his body and blood? I don't quite understand that, but it sounds important. Uh, Karen, who was also there, she didn't say anything at all. She'd been feeling spiritually dry and quite far away from God. And she didn't think it was right to take bread and wine, which made her feel even worse than whenever it was part of the service. As she declined a second custard cream, she thought, I, I think I'll ask Michael about that when he's back. You can imagine, there's Christchurch Little Whinging. We're, we're back here, and we're, we're coming to the end of this short series about the ordinary things the Lord Jesus asks us to do, sometimes called the ordinary means of grace. And we said last week, in a way, they're like God's location markers. If we're separated, meet here. He says, if you come to these points, you will find me. I'll be found by you. And we've thought about gathering as a church on Sundays, preaching, baptism, and now the Lord's Supper, which is sometimes, depending on your church background, where you've come from, sometimes it's called communion. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Then what is it? What is this thing? We're going to build an answer from this passage in 1 Corinthians. If you've not got it open in front of you, it'd be really helpful if you did. Page 1151. And look, here's the first thing. In answer to this question, what is the Lord's Supper? Here's part of the answer. It is a meal with God. It's not one that we invite God to, it's one that he invites us to. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, uh, is, he's writing to the Corinthians, and in the, the kind of the section leading up to this, he's been warning them about idolatry and the particular issue of sharing food sacrificed to idols. And as he comes into land, he contrasts the Lord's Supper with the sacrifice and meals in pagan temples. You see that in verse 21. He says, you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Paul's saying, look, you're in danger of being people who invited to have dinner with God, choose instead fellowship with evil spiritual powers, and you can't do that. But notice he describes the Christian meal as the Lord's table. We live in an age of fast food, don't we? Standing in front of the microwave going, goodness sake, two minutes I've got to wait for this. Come on, come on. We live in an age of, of, of fast food, microwave meals, but we, we still know there are meals with meaning. Like, here's a quick quiz for you. you can just, uh, here's two questions. Uh, what's the fourth Sunday in November? What's special about that? And what's February the 10th, 2024? Just chat with people around you. Have a minute or so. See if you can answer those, those questions. Quick quiz. Okay, uh, long enough. 
Anyone knows the, anyone know what those dates are special for? Fourth Thursday, fourth Thursday in November. What's that? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Well, well done. Somebody earlier said, "Is it your birthday?" I, no, um, um, no, Thanksgiving for the United States. Has anyone celebrated that? Oh, there's a few, a few nods, a few nods. Pumpkin pie. What about the other one? Uh, February the 10th, 2024. What's special about that date? Yeah, Bill. Pancake day. Because maybe it is. I don't really know. That's not what I was thinking of. <laughs> Cherish. That's right. Chinese New Year. Um, that, that's what it is. And, and next year, we're maybe going to try and do something around that uh, as, as a church family. But look, with each of those, Thanksgiving... Uh, there'll be all sorts of food associated with that. And, and Chinese New Year, I imagine there's all sorts of food associated with that. There's, there's meals with meaning. And Paul would say, look, some, meal, uh, some, some meals are like that. They've got all sorts of meaning attached to them. And he, he says, this one he's talking about, this is a big one. God is inviting you for dinner. Now, this idea, if that's, a, if that's a new thing, if that seems like a new idea for you, God inviting you for dinner, that, that's a, a new idea. Let me say, this idea of meals with God runs through the Bible from the beginning right through to the end. Um, in some ways, you could say, this is what the whole Bible is about. This meal with God is, in a sense, what God has been about since the beginning. Let me try and show that. When, when God rescues his people from Egypt, he brings them to a mountain, and he makes a covenant with them, a binding promise of a new relationship, secured by a sacrifice. And then we're told in Exodus 24, Moses and the elders of Israel go up the mountain with God, and they saw God, and they ate and drank in God's presence. The covenant made, a new relationship formed, a meal is shared. I guess the closest we would have to that in our, our sort of general experience would be a, the kind of wedding breakfast. So you know in a wedding, generally speaking, this is what happens, there's a covenant promises are made here at the front of church. There's a bit of faffing around with photographs uh, afterwards and all that kind of stuff. But, but then after that, uh, after that, we celebrate the beginning of this new relationship and begin to enjoy it with a meal together. You celebrate with a meal. There's probably some here that are planning for weddings coming up, and one of the things you'll be planning for is the meal afterwards. That, that's what we do. That's what God is doing here. And at various stages in Israel's history, this covenant relationship is remembered uh, or renewed with meals as well. Sacrifices are offered. Some of the meat, in a sense, is, is offered up to God. It's like his portion of the meal. Not that God needs to eat, but symbolically he takes part of it, and then some of it is given to the people, uh, and they eat. And as, as God establishes the pattern of his relationship with his people, in some ways, the high point is this meal together. It's where it's leading towards fellowship with God. And it's not just uh, the pattern. We're told it, in some ways it's the, it's the, it's the purpose of, of the whole story. In our, in our first reading, God describes the ultimate future for his rescued people, described in this way in, in Isaiah 25. Did you notice these words as we read them earlier? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty 
will prepare a rich, will provide a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wines, the best meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. It's a meal where God and his people eat together. God's portion. Did you notice it? He will swallow up death for us. Our portion, a feast of his blessing forever. And if you see that across the Bible, this kind of relationship with God patterned, secured by a sacrifice, then a meal with God, and this future God dealing with the problem of death, and then bringing people into fellowship with him. If you see this pattern, uh, and then the promise of a future meal, when Jesus comes to purchase us for God with his own precious sacrifice, no surprise when he brings us to a table for a meal. Now, this is the story of the Bible. It's not really. Do you get get this? Have you got this clear in your, your mind? It's not so much the story of the Bible as that you just go to God to get forgiveness, as if that was the end point. No, it's bigger than that. It's that God grants forgiveness through his own dear son so that we can come to God, have fellowship with him. In the end, God wants to invite us round to his place so we can enjoy his table, the blessings that he gives. So just think back to Christchurch's little whinging and some of the people talking there, uh, Gary, and the kind of things he said. If you think the Lord's Supper is just a little extra on a Sunday and something we could do without, it might just be that you've missed the whole point of what this this good news is about, where God is wanting to lead you to, where he wants to take you to. And for most of us, I suspect, the Lord's Supper, a bit like baptism, is much more important uh, than we realize. If in a sense that hearing God's Word is the beating heart of what we do on a Sunday, as He speaks to us this gospel, the the Lord's Supper is is like the, the climax, the high point. Here's what it's bringing us to. It's a meal with God. Now, uh, walk through the door in the Todd household around 5.30 on any day. There's a key question being asked, and that will be, what's for dinner? Uh, You don't have to be there very long, uh, around 5.30. What's for dinner, and how long will it be? Um, And the general view um, off the back of that question is, if the answer is salmon, that is bad news. Anything other than that would sort of in the territory of it will probably be all right. It is quite good news. So you ask about this meal, and you think, look, what's for dinner at this meal? Here's the second thing. It's a meal with God where he feeds us with Christ. Now, if you hear that, you think that sounds a bit weird. Do you mean he feeds us with Christ? Well, have a look at verse 16 as we think what's going on here. You see what Paul says? Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, this cup and this wine that we have at the Lord's Supper, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? We need to do some thinking here, so keep your 
keep our brains engaged at this point. This is a little bit of hard work. But the, this, this word participation is the word that gives us communion or fellowship. And we realize what we're being told. The Lord's Supper is not merely a memorial. It's not just a visual aid to help us remember something. Oh, like, he, here's some visual aids to help you remember something that happened in the past. And Paul's saying something is happening during this meal. We are participating in having communion with Christ. In verse 18, Paul compares it with the Old Testament sacrifices in Israel. You see what he says, do not those uh, who eat in the sacrifices, how does he put it, per participate in the altar. There's a sense in which, I think with that, there's a sense in which if, if you eat the food offered, you appropriate. You're accepting into yourself, in a way, the benefits that the sacrifice present. Now, there's a difference between the Old Testament sacrifices and the Lord's Supper. One of them it would be this, that the Lord's, at the Lord's Supper, there is no sacrifice being offered. That's because the Lord Jesus was offered once and for all. His death for our forgiveness, it doesn't need to be repeated. He's not being re-sacrificed each time. And it's important that we we understand that and get that clear. And I take it that's part of the reason why in verse 18, Paul describes the Old Testament sacrifices happening on an altar. But in verse 21, he speaks of the Lord's table. We don't come to an altar for a sacrifice. We come to a table for a meal. That's why we don't refer to these pieces of furniture at the back here where we sometimes have the bread and the wine on them as an altar. There's no sacrifice there. These are tables where we're invited to a meal. Uh, but with wine and broken bread, how do we participate? That's the thinking. How do we participate in the blood and body of Jesus? Uh, what did Jesus mean when he, he said to his disciples, you know these words, he said to the disciples, this is my body. This is my blood. What, what did he mean by that? Well, I think we can rule out some things. He, he can't mean that the wine and the bread become his actual body and blood in any kind of physical sense. Yeah, I mean, his disciples would have known that because he was standing there in front of them the first time he said it, body and blood and all. They, they knew where his body and blood was, and they saw the, the bread and the wine in front of them. No, I think here's how we understand it. Jesus, you can think of it this way. Jesus is saying that my little ones, my dearly beloved in this acted out drama, I am showing what I've accomplished for you through my sacrifice. And when you eat and drink, you're expressing that you're taking me as your own. You're feeding on me spiritually by faith, having communion with me. Uh, some people uh, find this helpful. Think of it this way. The Lord's Supper is a little like preaching. What do we mean by that? Look, in preaching, Jesus is communicated to us by the message of the gospel in the power of the Spirit 
through our seeing maybe as we read the words and our hearing definitely as we hear the word preached. And we receive him by faith. We really do. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus, the same Jesus, not, not a different Jesus, not a lesser amount of Jesus, the same Jesus is communicated to us by the message of the gospel in the power of the Spirit through our taste and touch as we receive him by faith. Now, I think what that means is, look, the, the Lord's Supper is not some kind of mechanical magic. You don't benefit. You don't benefit just by eating bread and drinking wine as if there's, there's anything magical about them. No, no, the benefits come as you receive Jesus by faith. The, what these things point to, what they communicate, as you say, ah, Lord Jesus, you're the one. It's your body that was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me, and I, I trust you. That's how those benefits come to us. And he communicates our taste and our touch, makes the gospel uh, clear to us. So you, if you don't have faith in Jesus, you should not eat this meal. It will do you no good. In fact, it might do you harm. But on the other side, and this is what you're to hear even more clearly, on the other side, you're not to stay away from the table if you feel spiritually dry or far from God any more than you would say stay away from hearing God's word read or preached because you feel far away from God. This is spiritual food for you. There is refreshment for the dry and nourishment for the weak because it's Jesus that's communicated to you in these things. You're encountering him. In the eating and the drinking, Jesus is encountering you. We spoke of baptism, didn't we, a few weeks back as a, as a sign of the covenant. Jesus says the same of the Lord's Supper. So think of it this way. A young man who gives the woman he loves an engagement ring. I say gives it to her, offers it to her. I mean, you can't just force it on someone, can you? You can't just say, you're having this. If that was your experience, come and chat to me later. But, um, <laughs> but he offers the woman he loves an engagement ring, and she loves it, and she takes it. But you know in taking it, she's not, in, in receiving that sign, it's not really a ring she's received. She doesn't go away from that and go, I've got a ring at last. The very thing I wanted was a ring. No, in receiving that sign, she's receiving her beloved She's receiving him, taking him in a sense. And every time she looks at it, and if you've seen someone with an engagement ring, they, they keep looking at it all the time. In a sense, she's feeding off it. She's feeding on him, who he is, and what he's offered to her. In a sense, in a much bigger way, that's what Jesus is saying. As you take these gifts, you're taking me, you're participating in me by faith. Look, keep that in mind. It, it's a meal with God where he feeds us with Christ. You know this, with, with every dinner invite, you also wonder at times, don't you, who else has been invited? <laughs> Someone said, would you like to come around for dinner? Yeah, that sounds lovely. I wonder who else is going to be there. Who will I be sitting beside? So here's the last thing we're going to see. It's, it's a meal with God where he feeds us with Christ as we share it together. 
Uh, look again at the end of verse 16. Uh, Paul does some kind of playing on words here. Verse 16, is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? We communion with him. Uh, because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf. You, you see what Paul's saying? Look, the bread we break, it, it really does have a meaning. It's a participation in Christ. It expresses our, our communion with him. But keep thinking, Paul says. Don't stop your thinking there because, look, if we're all eating that same bread, if we're all sharing that one loaf, if we're all participating in Christ, all in communion with him, then it stands to reason we must also be in communion with one another. There's no other loaf. There's no other bread. It's all of us sharing the same thing. This meal is designed to communicate and renew as well our unity with the Lord Jesus, yes, but also our unity with one another. The, the meal's never meant, really, to be taken at home by myself. It's a church family meal, and it would be deeply, deeply concerning if I was taking the meal, expressing my unity with Jesus and his people in this kind of visible way, while at the same time deliberately ignoring or continuing to be falling out and not being reconciled with someone in the church family. If that's your situation, you should seek as far as you can. And some relationships are very complicated, I understand that, but it, you should seek as far as you can to sort that out before you come to the Lord's table. It's why many Anglican churches, you, you may know this, will, will have a time where they share the peace before the Lord's Supper. At one level, it gives an opportunity to express our unity. Uh, or even at times, not as a temptation to say, you've done the wrong thing, haven't you? It's about time you said sorry to me, but really a time to say, maybe even briefly, I'm really sorry. Be good to chat. Um, you know, in some ways... It's hard to do, isn't it, just in a couple of minutes when you're sharing the piece, if you've ever been there doing that. But at another level, even beyond that, doing that regularly shapes how we think and act. If that's just part of our practice, even at times like this, thinking, I should be sorting things out, that's meant to spill over into the rest of life. If you've ever been invited by a family to come and join them for dinner, you can, you can tell a lot about a family, can't you, that is eaten together over years. You see the way they talk. You see the way they act and serve each other. You, you say the way uh, Richard will say at the end of the meal, let me clear the table. Uh, you see the way uh, a mum delights in putting things down in front of people um, uh, that they, they really do enjoy. Uh, you see the way uh, children who've been uh, drawn into conversations round meal tables enjoy talking to other people and asking questions and finding out about them. You see the way a family has been shaped by a mealtime, and it's a lovely thing to see at times, isn't it? And if you've got that in mind, you'll understand some of what's going on here. God has given us a meal that we're meant to share as a family over years. They're not just one-off things. And if we come, if you will come regularly to his table... God will shape you. God will shape us as a family. Isn't that a lovely thing? 
somebody was saying to me um, just during the week as we talked about this, it's a pretty poor meal, isn't it? I mean, it's a pretty poor meal. If it's meant to be that fancy, if it's got all this weight, it's a bit poor meal, a bit of bread and a bit of wine, you can do better than that. And I, I was thinking on that because it was a really good question. And I thought at one level, gosh, should it be a much more elaborate thing? And then you think what the Lord Jesus might be doing, if you want to set up a meal that even the poorest can come to, and that even if you're not a good cook, you can prepare it to say, have some bread and have some wine. Anyone can have this. I think that's a good move, isn't it, for a church family together. We can have other things as well, but at the heart of it, if you've got this, you've got enough. It's a poor meal because it will be available even for the poorest. It's a rich meal. You'll never get a meal richer than this. In the fanciest restaurant in Cambridge, and there's some fancy ones, you will never... You will never have a meal that is richer than this because what it communicates to you it is not just the bread and the wine. It's the Lord Jesus himself. You will never eat a richer meal. The best meal that you will have ever will be the meal that you have yeah, on a Sunday morning or evening with your brothers and sisters when you have bread and wine. That will be the best meal you ever have this side of the new creation. Sorry, I've gone off from my notes there. I'll need to find my place again. Look, what is the Lord's Supper? It's a meal with God where he feeds us with his own dear son as we share it together. A couple of things, that's the main thing to get. But just as we come into land uh, a little bit, I just wanted to mention a a few other things. Uh, Partly about our practice as a church family as we do those things. Baptism and Lord's Supper, we've thought about, about that over the past few weeks. They're both signs of God's covenant promises to us. They're both primarily about what God does for us, not what we do for God. That's the way the arrow points. Some have asked recently, as we've talked about baptism and Lord's Supper, as we do that on Sundays, we, we, we sometimes say, look, be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper. And, and some of these, a, a few people have asked, well, is that right? Why do we need to do that? Well, look, here's part of the reason. Baptism functions as a sign of entry into God's family. Washed clean by Jesus. You brought it in. Just trust him. And he'll bring you right in. The Lord's Supper functions as a sign of nourishment and maturing God's family. It's just, you do it with the same Lord Jesus. Keep feeding on him and you'll grow. But it would be odd to think you're ready for the sign of growing in God's family, but not ready for the sign of entering it. You can see how that would be an odd way around, wouldn't it? Um, so again, if you're a Christian and not yet baptized, maybe you've been coming to the Lord's table, look, come and ask about being baptized. It is God's gracious sign to you. He wants to give you that sign of being washed and brought in, and he says you should have it. So if you're a believer, trusting the Lord Jesus, not yet baptized, do come and speak about it. The second thing is just this, Luke, when are you old enough for the Lord's Supper? There's some in our church family who are baptized as babies and are growing up. When when are you old enough to start receiving the Lord's Supper? I'm not sure the Bible really gives an age. So we we won't really do that. But what it does seem to say is is that this sign goes along with some understanding as a Christian. We're we're told at various points when the Bible speaks about the Lord's Supper that we're remembering the Lord's death. You're 
You're thinking about it, remembering it, and we're warned to examine ourselves before eating. It's possible to eat and drink in wrong ways that bring God's discipline. And so for that reason, you, you might hear is when very young members, even those who've been baptized, uh, are, young members of the church family are with us during communion, you will hear us say, please, we invite them to come with families for a blessing seeing what's going on and to be prayed for blessing. But for, for children getting older whose parents are thinking, do you know what, I think they're at an age when I think they can share in the supper with responsible understanding. We want to help them with that and include them in right ways. And you think of it this way, like those baptized as adults, there's encouraging preparation that we do. We talk through what's happening in baptism, what joining uh, that way means. There's things in, uh, in the Church of England for that with children growing up um, coming to the Lord's table. Uh, we do that officially, but I think there's other ways, not just Church of England ways, we, where we want to do that. So if you're at that stage with your families and thinking, you know what, I think my children are an age where I'd like them to be sharing, come and talk about that. You may have more questions about that in our practice, and we're, we're going to try and put something in paper that just explains some of these things. But that's our practice. At the heart of it, though, as we've thought about this series, as you think about the Lord's Supper, and over the next few weeks, it, it feels a bit strange that we're not doing Lord's Supper today. We were meant to do this sermon last week, which with, uh, we would have shared Lord's Supper as well. But look at the term cards. Uh, and look at the dates in September and December where we will be sharing Lord's Supper together. And as you think, what is that? Keep these things in mind. It's a meal with God where he feeds us with his own dear son, the Lord Jesus, as we share it together. Let's have a moment to pray. Uh, bow our heads. Uh, for your own quiet prayer, the musicians are going to come up to the front. And then in a moment, I will... Uh, uh, close that time with a short prayer for us all.